Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on the 7th of June 2015. You know, it's only if your conditioning from birth onwards has worked very well, the indoctrination you're given from so many sources, do you become shocked when you start to realize something's just not quite right with the system that you've taken for granted all your life. And many people freak out about it too. It never occurs to them that the fiction that every nation is given to do with their beginnings, their, their founding mythologies and things like that, and their patriotism is built into them to obey the system that always says it's perfect or as perfect as can be. It never occurs to them that it's that, that didn't exist. It's a conditioning that existed, you see. Just like nations today still go along with the same conditioning. And yet, say for instance, the best example is, um, say, Britain. Britain is not the Britain of, say, 1930. Uh, definitely not. You can't recognize it at all. Same as the U.S. The U.S. is... Transformed. As long as have the same symbols and the same phrases that bring out election time and so on, uh, your conditioning kicks in and it fools you. Therefore, any tyrant can basically get in there, or front man, because they're all front men really, and keep the con going uh, by saying the right things and the slogans and so on uh, that to do with uh, the country, the, the, your, your role, your manifest destiny, things like that. And it works awfully well on the people. It never occurs to them that in every age, in every generation, the same mythology is used. And yet the system itself can be completely different, pointing 180 degrees from where it was a few generations ago. And people, as I say, when they try to uh, wake up or, or become startled when they're affected by big changes... And they have no say in the matter whatsoever, which conflicts with their indoctrination. It's only then they kind of freak out to an extent. It never occurs to them that there's a paper trail and there's counterintelligence there to deal with you. After all, the only problem anyone can cause a big, big, giant system, which is perfectly run at the top with academia and intelligence and counterintelligence and media on board and all the different agencies and the asset agencies, etc., which deal with intelligence. And that includes all the media. It never occurs, you know, it never occurs to the average person that they all work together to keep you enshrouded in a kind of womb-like structure until you die, thinking uh, that everything that happens up in that magical land, that never-never land between you and those way above you, it never occurs to the people that it was, it was never the way that they're, they've been indoctrinated to see it at all. Bertrand Russell was awfully good at this explanation because he was part of the world organization that worked for the masters of the world, you might say, uh, who designed the system for the, a good part of the 20th century and, to, and well through the 21st century, in fact. He was involved in many international organizations funded by the big boys. He himself was from aristocracy and... He was profoundly influenced by the Darwins family, the, the, the long lineage of the Darwins, 
and the Huxleys and so on. And he believed uh, that the intelligent and the genetically superior should rule the world. By genetic superiority, that's a big minefield in itself in some areas, but they, they did believe that the aristocracy and the big money moguls who'd held on to their power through generations without squandering it away because they married a similar type, sometimes inside their own families, very often, in fact. Uh, then they kept the right genes there. Uh, they, they didn't have wayward sons that would go off and become alcoholics and squander the cash or gamble it away, like much of the aristocracy did. And they had the right to rule the world. Uh, they brought academia on board with them, they paid them well. They, they promoted the, the yes-men who became professors who would parrot uh, the, the new system that was to get brought in where people would begin to accept that they were being managed properly. It's all about management and control. Managed properly by a vague, invisible superiority establishment way above them, or superior establishment above them. And... This worked awfully well, right to the present time. Most folk who think they're waking up don't wake up. They're simply reacting to things that are affecting them personally. We saw it with the free trade agreement and the NAFTA agreement and so on, when factories after factories across the countries involved decided closing down and setting up in Mexico and in China, of course, with the GATT treaty took off as well. Again, this superior class above you, uh, don't regard you, your nation, even if they're born in, in it, they don't regard that as their home, and they don't regard you as their fellow citizens. They are a class, a creed, above all of that, you see. And they made sure, too, uh, of all the safeguards, the multiple safeguards out there to trap the people uh, here and there, the odd person here and there, who would wake up and, and start saying, what's going on here? What's when, when, as I say, their clash of indoctrination and what seemed to be happening didn't tally quite right. Counterintelligence is very, very important. And the, the best of it is, many of their security agencies and so on, involved in intelligence, wrote many papers about this, some of which are published, talking about how to recapture the mind or disable the mind. After all, nothing can happen against a dominant elite unless people rise up with a, a consciousness and an understanding of what truly is happening. Therefore, the whole point is to prevent them getting to that level of understanding. And you become disabled by the attacks they, they, they put out there for you to fall into, to walk into, actually. Any system, especially in the U.S., they call it the Patriot Movement and so on, things like that, can be taken over quite easily and led, in fact, into a thousand pathways which disassociate you from reality along the way with the Pied Pipers who lead you into New Age thought, thinking, magical thinking, uh, things like that, until you have facts of what's happening in the world mixed up with aliens, 
uh, ancient mythologies that are presented as being real, like Anunnaki and things like that, until it's all con- a confused mass. And the person who prattles off the facts combined with all these mythologies that are intentionally put out there for you to follow because they're fascinating, uh, discredits the facts embedded within them. And that's counterintelligence. It works awfully, awfully well. Better and Russell made reference to that in every age and generation, the proper people saw to it that their proper indoctrination and beliefs were given properly to the people. The proper people designed the beliefs and, and system. They taught it to the people properly, and the people believed properly. That's never changed. It's a very, very old, old system of managing masses of people. It's never changed whatsoever. Russell also said, basically, that those in the know of, what the, of the true reality, the ones up at the top, who told those in academia and media what to do and what to present to the public and what to teach the public, would be on their side. They'd be bought and paid for, basically, and put in place. And that's never changed either. It's worked awfully, awfully well up to the present time. And I don't see any reason why it shouldn't continue. And it's always a shock in what people believe are the democracies when people look back at things and say, why did 9-11 happen? And they understand for the moral justification for manufactured wars, you must always have what appears to be the moral high ground. You're in shock. You didn't see it coming. You didn't know what brought it on and what have you done to them, etc., etc. Even though the Project for New American Century, a private organization with the Bush Jr. members in it as members themselves, in the 90s presented their own documentation on the countries they wanted to take over through warfare across the entire Middle East. And they published it twice in the 90s, before 9-11 even happened, but they're all shocked when it happened, etc., etc., same with NAFTA and GATS. And so, oh, gee whiz, what's happened? Uh, we, we didn't see that China would end up being the manufacturing system or a nation for the whole planet, which is nonsense. It was designed to be that way. But the beauty of this democracy appears to the people who think vaguely about things. They don't really sit down and analyze those things which they simply implicitly accept as living in a democracy, they don't analyze it and say, well, what makes me think that? And what, what didn't make me think that? And, and is it democracy? And so on. Because no one ever takes the can for the big seeming gaffes that happen. Oh, we didn't see to be mass unemployment in the Western countries when we signed these free trade deals. All that nonsense, you see. But it's a beauty of a system because heads don't roll. No one does take responsibility. And that's why it can continue. It's a system above the system you're taught is the ultimate system. That's what runs the world. It's all private organizations, always was. And you're taught the opposite, that somehow government's in charge of even the corporations, instead of being the other way around. 
After all, it's private corporations that fund politicians into office. These aren't simply gifts like, here, we love you. Uh, It's a deal. We put you in, this is what you do. And you benefit us. It's always been that way, folks. Stop being so naive. That's your indoctrination that teaches you to be so naive. And because of that, you can't think past anything. Even when things are going all wrong and your, your currency is dropping as far as purchasing power goes, you make excuses for it all. And you still implicitly believe, like children, that's your indoctrination again, that somehow it's going to get better. But it hasn't got better. And it's not intended to get better. It's going to get worse because the big boys again, through all their extraneous organizations have created at the top. And none of them are independent, believe you me, and go their own way. None of them whatsoever. From the Bank for International Settlements, privately owned, IMF, central banking systems, etc., etc. The United Nations, all these things were set up by a private group of very rich people. And the climate change parts of, of the UN, so it's all part of it too. It's all, they're, they're bought and paid for. Little front men, you see, to push their agendas forwards. And it all comes together in a great master plan, you see, which again benefits the genetically proper elite, uh, who are also the wealthiest people on the planet, basically. Uh, and, and that's how you're, you're run. You're living in a feudal system which is very, very, very old. Democracy never existed. Never existed. And there are many, many signs to democracy too. Plato said it would never be a workable system because they tried it in Greece and always ends up with a form of communism. And then it just integrates and it's infighting until it all falls apart. The Club of Rome, again a bought and paid for organization, a front organization, one of the many ones out there, came out with their first global revolution book back in the 70s. And they said that they were given the task to find a way to implement a big part of this world strategy for bringing in austerity and control over the people in a way where the people would go along with it. So they blamed humanity for changing the weather and things like that, global warming. That was back in the 70s. They said that would fit the bill. And you can be made to believe anything with incessant repetition. And that's a technique that's still used today. For the average person whose indoctrination has worked, even in a psychological examination, you'll find that they're decent people. They, they, they're in shock, utterly shock or disbelief, generally, when they're told what's going on, because they cannot believe they could be such terrible people, maybe evil people, doing such awful things and making big, big, awful plans for them. Because that's against, totally against their indoctrination. And they themselves, being good people, you can't imagine themselves doing it. And that's how they judge others. Never mind being able to conceive that thousands of rather evil people can work through academia and sciences and so on to brainwash them 
for other purposes. It's unthinkable to them. They believe in respectability. And everyone who's a little pity tyrant, a little front man, has always given them massive dose of respectability to be presented to the public. Now imagine if you were uh, the son or daughter of an elite family, and a family that Bertrand Russell would include in being a separate species from the rest, because they're living in real reality, true reality. And growing up, hearing bits and pieces of conversation and talks and, and visitors to the house in the same elite group, talking about the world as they understood it, it'd be so vastly different from the indoctrination you are going to get at school. And they, they're, they know the ins and outs. They, what they really understand is human nature. And they don't make excuses for human nature. They accept it in a kind of realistic fashion. And they have no problem with looking at wanting more personal wealth and power. As much as they can possibly get, steal, or, or, or by whichever means possible. They have no problems with that at all. They respect each other, like the big captains of industry used to be called. They, 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 were, they were given such respect for being such clever, clever, devious people to accumulate such wealth. didn't matter what's, whatever, how they accumulated such wealth. That was irrelevant to it. But they called laissez-faire. Laissez-faire never stopped. But for the people they want to control, which is the general population, where all wealth really comes from, they have to give you a different reality altogether. In fact, it's a reality that doesn't critique any part of the reality. They accept and accept and accept that special folk are just born and put into positions of and associations which help to rule over them. They call it governance today with all these NGOs, with all the big think tanks that attached to the United Nations and so on. They're somehow there, like a natural order of things, to take care of big, big, oh, really adult problems. So you can get through life in your simplistic way and, and play. That's how most of them, unfortunately, really see life at the bottom. It doesn't mean... Uh, that the psychopathic types amongst all strata, even including the bottom, uh, w- wouldn't do the same themselves if they could get up there. The only difference really is that the ones at the top are inbred psychopaths, generations of them. And if that trait is born in them, then they're, they're groomed again within the psychopathic hierarchy, and become perfect psychopaths. They have no qualms about anything. They're born without qualms. And their whole existence rationalizes to them and justifies their right to control all the non-psychopaths, basically. That's the system we live in. And the unfortunate part about it is that all the studies done on this, this kind of subject show that when psychopaths control a society 
and all the top strata. They also give the people who work for them and slave for them and so on, they give them a psychopathic culture. So it kind of blurs the distinction between the people at the bottom and how they view those at the top. In fact, many at the bottom will actually say, well, gee, well, yeah, he, he became rich and famous by so-and-so, and, uh, well, I'd do the same. How many folk have you heard say that? I'd do the same. So the ability to be petty tyrants is existent within many, many people at the bottom as well, and the middle. If you get the right start in life, which is the born into a more powerful family and wealthy family, go to the right schools, meet the right peer group, etc. And the future captains of industry, certainly these are your friends and your pals and so on, you grew up with at school, then uh, you're, you're made, basically. You're made, and doors open for you. That's the difference between starting at the bottom and being born into it. And never dismiss history. Never dismiss history and what it teaches you about you. Because, for instance, if you look at, say, a totalitarian type of system, like the Soviet Union, and the the massive slaughter that it caused when it, it first came in, Although continued a slaughter quietly afterwards, but when it first came in, it wiped out a whole class of people, basically, to, to introduce another class from outside the country, often, uh, to rule over them. They become the new intelligentsia, since it wiped out the old ones. And it was all done under the guise of this doublespeak. You're free. You're the first free country in the world. And you're anti-capitalists, we're all equal, etc. Meanwhile, the ones at the top who replaced the old intelligentsia, which they'd eradicated physically, uh, live like kings and queens. That's human nature in action. That couldn't have happened without the support of the masses. And the masses will go along with simplistic reasons for things. And the more well-presented the reasons given to them by good orators and so on, the more they'll follow them. And within the masses, you'll also get a type that would at one time be the religious fanatic, I mean, ultra, ultra orthodox, the kind of Puritan type, the Cromwellian type. In all ages, they exist, and they can go and they can be humanists, they can be whatever it happens to be at the time is promoted, and they'll be true fanatics, and ruthless. They themselves get get nothing out of it, but they devote themselves, devote themselves to achieving a a utopia which never arrives. Because it's always off in the future somewhere. You're always one day or the next generation or maybe two or three generations down the road, this utopia will, will arrive. And these devotees, these ruthless fanatics, exist in all strata of society. If you look at all the non-governmental organizations, there's thousands and thousands of them with the leaders of them all in the know of their part of it all. They know what they're doing and what they're there for. And there's thousands and thousands of them. But the followers, the bulk of them that do all the work and so on, are the devotees 
and they're indoctrinated into saving the world and the earth and people are bad and there's just too many humans, that that's a scary ideology because they literally are ready to eradicate lots of people if they're told to. Not all of them, but it's always that hardcore fanatical group of followers, you see. For the good of the religion they're given at that time, which now is is sustainability uh, and and, and so on and so on. Global warming, yada, yada, yada. And that's what the elite understand, because they have all academia who do study these things all the time on board with them, well paid at the top. They're, they belong to the, they're their henchmen to an extent, henchmen of the mind. And that's why it works so well. Now, when you look at this massive, massive, massive superstructure and layers of organizations above you and what you think is a democracy, and they're all part of this superstructure of governance for this democracy. It kind of washes the whole idea of democracy down the tubes. Democracy is very simple. And it's never existed. You vote in someone who represents you and your people or your locality or whatever, or your nation. And they're supposed to fight for you and your rights and what the constituents want. That never happens. Doesn't happen. Because the boys that long, long ago, when they came up with this idea, oh, we'll give you parties and split the idea, you know. So it's not, so rather than have the representative go and represent you and the needs of that area and so on, which are always different from another area and locality, he says, well, I can't do that for you because, because I'm with a party and the party, the party doesn't want it. So I can't do that. What's the point in electing them in the first place? Understand there's never been democracy. There's never been democracy. Never will be. In fact, long ago when the idea of democracy was getting put out, the elites themselves brought it out as a a front. So that their, their, their devious works would be much better hidden behind this fake reality of democracy. What frustrates lots of people when trying to communicate the facts to other people is that facts don't count to the perfectly indoctrinated. Professor Carl Quigley, who was for a long time, a good part of his life, the personal historian of this alternate reality at the top, the private organization that set up the United Nations and all of its different parts, who set up the IMF, who set up the Bank for International Settlements and so on. And, and uh, oh, you can't keep up with I, I could talk for hours and hours just on the organizations that were all set up under this private group. Carl Quigley had their own personal records here for, for their own, the, re, the real version of history. He published some of it. But facts don't matter to the perfectly indoctrinated. Professor Quigley gave a good part of the history of this very big private organization. Not all of its history, because he starts really in the 1800s with it, and the cabal that got together to design and plan the future with themselves and their own families in control 
through generations, naturally. He talks about them setting up the big trade blocks, free trade blocks, as an idea to unite the whole planet under one global governmental system, eventually. But that's how they would do the abolition of national sovereignty, etc., gradually, was through trade deals, because it encompasses all of your laws, your national laws, all of them, not just to do with trade. And that would be the guise to bring it in. And it's still going on today. He talked about the inner party at the top, who planned it all, the outer party that comprised of even banking specialists and so on, economists, professors of all kinds, and academia, those who would set the curriculums to make sure, again, the proper indoctrination was given to each generation, and, and, and how they could gradually implement the whole system through what appeared to be free trade deals, etc., and he was quite honest, too, that the boys who started up wanted to take over all of the resources of the world into their own private hands, basically. Still going on. And he thought this was the right idea. He didn't believe in democracy either, that democracy could work. The people would always have to be managed, and why, why not have the intelligent and the proper gene types running the world, you see? They didn't really believe the average person could run their lives in an efficient manner. Efficiency is a big part of this. Efficiency, efficiency, efficiency. But facts don't matter, even though he published all of that stuff. And he named all the organizations, well, not all of them, but a good part of the organizations that would bring it all in. And... I've gone over so many of these things for years and years, it's just uh, boring to me to even repeat them. But we're going through it big time today. Uh, they always go for the youth, remember, and give them a heavier indoctrination uh, than their parents got. Because it's important to get them growing up and voting the right, proper way for their time, for all the things that they're taught are uh, necessary and imperative, in fact like climate change and austerity and so on and so on. It's quite easy to manage whole masses of people, whole nations, continents of people, the world, if you have the same indoctrination given through uh, the United Nations uh, associations to do with education and so on. Quite simple. And again, all, not just academia is on board, but all of the media is on board, and those who make documentaries are just churned out and churned out all the time, uh, giving the appropriate messages to the people who become devotees of whatever they're pushing. Uh, and the youth are very easily influenced by uh, the visual and auditory and so on, presented in documentaries. Now getting back to this democracy sham, if you're voting people in, who once they're in can't represent you because they belong to the party and the party doesn't want to, what's the point in voting them? I mean, that's the sham right off, off the bat. You're voting in someone locally, but you have to go with the party. So you have no one to represent you. That's the reality of it. That's the truth of it. During the, the NAFTA agreements, which was part of uh, this ongoing process of free trade, etc., and amalgamation 
of countries that goes along with every one of them. The politicians elected for the provinces of Canada were allowed to see on a monthly basis, I think it was, some of the agreements for three minutes per month. And they'd be sat in a room. The rooms were swept for bugs and all the rest of it. And the reason being, the public were never to know. It was always to be secret. So here's your politicians elected by the provinces, reading things which were secret and not be told to their constituents, but would affect the entire lives of all their constituents. So what's the point in having the politician? And how could this politician go along with it? It's all a farce. And it's still going on today with uh, the the Trans-Pacific Partnership and things like that. Here's an example here. It's one of the many examples, and again, there's a plethora of things if you want to really waste time go through them all, if you can't get the message by now. Australian members of Parliament are allowed to see top-secret trade deal text, but they can't reveal the contents for four years. Well, reveal it to who? It's to the constituents, the people who voted for them. So the Australian politicians have been told they can view the current confidential negotiating text for the Trans-Pacific Partnership Agreement, but only if they agree not to divulge anything they see for four years, despite expectations the deal could be finalised within months. As ten years of highly... And I'll tell you the reason for that. They give a public version afterwards, which will be available by PDF or whatever, but the, the the totality of it all, which is generally about two thirds of it, are two thirds are hidden in, in archives, sometimes underground. That's what happened in NAFTA for Canada. Till the year two thousand and fifty. This article continues as ten years of highly secret negotiations over the twelve nation trade and investment pact draw to a close, and the U.S. Congress debates where to grant President Barack Obama fast track authority. Members of Parliament and Senators were briefed on the deal Monday night by the Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade Assistant Secretary Elizabeth Ward and other officials. They were told that, despite the negotiations being in the final stages and at the end game, key provisions had not been agreed, including intellectual property clauses of deep concern to Australian government and controversial legal avenues for corporations to take action against governments so-called investor state dispute settlements. They were also told these investor uh, state dispute settlements processes itself was still being negotiated, including provisions on transparency. They were told they could view the current TPP negotiating text on Tuesday subject to certain confidentiality requirements. They were shown a document they would be required to sign before any viewing. That's an official secrets thing. So legality. So your politicians are signing that they will keep secret that which they read, uh, and to help their constituents. The document listed requirements, which it said were consistent with the undertaking by Australia and other negotiating partners, 
to treat negotiation or negotiating texts and other documents exchanged in the course of negotiations as confidential government information in order to facilitate candid and productive negotiations. Now, uh, it's the top corporations that put this thing together. Big business deals put into law to give them basically monopolies over wherever part they're after, and it's all for private, top private businesses, international corporations. And it's going to affect everyone's lives because I think 29 pages in it um, and sections, 29 sections to this TPP were told, that's all we're told, and only five of them have to do with trade. The rest of us to do with many, many other things uh, including the way you're going to live in the future and folks and your taxations and carbon taxes and energy taxes to bring in austerity. You've heard these things over the year, austerity. How, would, how do you think they're going to bring you into it? It's by taxing you for, ev- for everything, for your existence, because ov- you've always been the source of wealth. All wealth comes from the people. And it says, the requirements listed were as follows. Uh, I will not divulge any of the text or information obtained in the briefing to any party. I will not copy, transcribe, or remove the negotiating text. I further acknowledge that the negotiating text is confidential and sensitive. Disclosure of the negotiating text may affect adversely TPP negotiations and Australia's relations with other TPP partners. I concluded, I therefore agree that these confidential requirements shall apply for four years after entry into force of the TPP, or if no agreements enter into force for four years after the last round of negotiations. Among those attending the briefing, and it tells you who, who were at the, the briefing about this, were coalition backbenchers, Bruce Scott and George Christensen, Labour backbenchers, and so on. And it says, the four-year confidentiality provision mirrors the secrecy provisions printed on the investment chapter of the TPP. So it's investment chapter, you understand, for the big corporations. And if they want to bring in labor from abroad, for instance, into your nation, or we are living, put it that way, because the nation state went out long ago, it's true. It only becomes a nation state when they want you to go and fight for it or something like that. But uh, when you think about it, you see, it allows the corporations to sue you, the people, who pay for all the fines that come to government. If, if uh, they want to bring in very, very cheap labor into your, your area, your nation, uh, which is below, for instance, the minimum poverty agreements. And if you say, no, you can't do that, you've got to pay the, the, the least the poverty level. And they say, oh, and we're not going to do that, according to this, this uh, free trade agreement. Uh, we can do as we want to, and, you, and your nation stops them, then that company, without doing anything, without even understand the massive fine that they'll get back to them, the money from you, for their hurt, you see, for not getting what they wanted. It's just nothing but pure profit for doing nothing. It's already been done many times over in Britain and other countries when the EU, the super parliament there, rules against the nation. 
Anyway, so the document said it could be declassified four years from entering the force of the TPP agreement, or if no agreement enters the force four years from the close of the negotiations. It must be protected from unauthorized disclosure and must be stored in a locked or secured building, room or container. <laughs> you understand the reason it can be given to the public is when you'd be, hopefully, even with your indoctrination, you'd have what we used to call a hairy fit. If you understood what was all about and all these business deals with big corporations using your tax money and everything else to school you. That's what it's about, folks. And again, too, they're dropping, I know they're dropping the language and already have in some of the, the recent trade deals of the free movement of labor and goods across borders. And instead of labor, they've just said people. So they don't have to have jobs to come to and so on. It's all part of the, uh, the withering away, as Karl Marx said, of the nation state. So it all works together. And all these boys in the past were all part of this secret organization that had different names from uh, the Lord Alfred Milner group that quickly talked about. They were called other things before that. Which, and that became the Royal Institute for International Affairs, a private organization. And its American branch is called the Council on Foreign Relations. All the British Commonwealth countries has a, a department of it too. And all prime ministers have been a member of it, regardless of party, for a hundred years. So uh, it says when Christensen queried the four-year time frame at the meeting, he was told it was needed because the final version of the document might be different. So there you go again, from the current version. So what they're showing the people there are probably relevant down the road. And that it was similar to the undertakings required of members of the U.S. Congress who wanted to view the text. Now, personally, I think the only reason they give it to for viewing, even though they sign these confidentiality agreements, I think what they do is they allow them to come in and see where investments will be going using public taxpayer money, millions and millions of dollars, and they can start to, to put a few investments in those companies themselves. That's how it works. If you go along with these things, you see, you get paid for it, you get well paid for keeping your mouth shut. But how can you call themselves democratically elected politicians when they won't tell the people who vote them in what's going on? Because it's secret. Because business wants it to be that way. It's a farce, isn't it? It's a farce. But then most of reality is you're given it at the bottom. It's a farce. They give you things to really scream about and argue about, like transsexuals and this and that and the other. That's backscatter, folks. It gets emotions going. And these things are all done deals. Because the elite at the top don't care how much uh, uh, chaos they appear to create at the bottom. It keeps you all off guard of what's really going on. Really going on. Now tonight I'm going to put up some links for you to peruse for those who haven't been so haven't been so damaged yet that they can still think and they want to know without getting in a tizzy and breaking down and and breaking up because a lot of folk can't handle truth because it, it conflicts totally with their indoctrination. The safe view 
of reality and society. But I'll put one up tonight on the United Nations 2015 Climate Change Conference. A big part of all of this too, and it's all in these free trade agreements as well, because it's going to lead to massive taxes and energy taxes, right down to wrapping paper on things that you purchase. How much energy did it take to create that? How much carbon did it give off? Well, you only pay for it all at the bottom. Massive, massive new system uh, out of nothing, basically. Massive profits. And here's an article here about someone who's awfully important. Like many, There's many important people you'll never hear of, folks. You'll never hear these people who are the true technocrats. There's so many of them, too. You spend your life trying to chase them up. You couldn't. One person can't do it. That's just how big the superstructure above you is. But you've got, uh, within academia, very important people who move in and out, some of them, of top positions in economics and back in the academia and so on. These are the big technocrats who are unelected again by the general public, but they run think tanks, they set curriculum policies in universities for the for nations, and things like that. Most folk don't even know about them. Because they don't mention them on the media or the news. But here's an article here. Actually, it's, it's from the wiki, of, or one of them. Jeffrey Sachs. S-A-C-H-S, like Goldman Sachs type of deal. Jeffrey Sachs, you know. Uh, this guy here is awfully important. One in many, of course. Because you must always indoctrinate the next managerial class in universities to come out on board with all the things that you want to push during their lifetime. That's how they plan it in advance. It's, you're living in a script, you understand. Every generation is. Prescripted. Anyway, he's born uh, 54, an American economist and director of the Earth Institute at Columbia University. Very important position. Sachs was an advisor to Russia and many Eastern European governments during their transitions from communism to market-based societies in the 1990s. Very important again, because he's a top economist. He's in all the top banking systems of the planet, because they're all one at the top, folks. And he helped try to do the transition of Russia. When he suddenly says, oh, we're not communists anymore, we're, we're, we're now a uh, capitalist, you see. And he went over a bunch from the Federal Reserve in different places in the U.S., pre-planned, of course, and supposed to destructuralize the state-owned monopolies of everything, uh, to privatize it. They made sure that most of the shares, not all, they started putting out would go to what became known, again, as a, as a front name, actually, there's, something, there's another group behind it, as the Russian Mafia. They became incredibly wealthy moguls and still are to this day. Anyway, so this says here, he was well known for the proponent of rapid transition policies for which he coined the term shock therapy. They include the sudden termination of pricing, currency controls, withdrawal of state subsidies, trade liberalization at large scale, privatization. 
as the 1990s wore on, shock therapy became very controversial, with proponents arguing that it helped to stabilise economies and improve economic growth, while critics like economist Joseph Stiglitz claimed that shock therapy had deepened crisis, and it certainly did, because the West had to end up feeding Russia, and create unnecessary social suffering. Sachs remained controversial as a proponent of economic austerity in the U.S. He was the United Nations as well, by the way. Finger in lots of pies. It says, and uh, in the U.S. and Europe during the recession since 2008 financial crisis, Sachs also advocate for policies of environmental sustainability and debt cancellation for very poor countries. He's a big player as far as technocracy goes as a manager. For his bosses, and and having his fingers and all these different webs, basically pulling them all in the right direction. So environmental sustainability and debt cancellation for very poor countries—that's the bankers, folks, who love this system because they put the nation, the citizens in the nation, that gives the loan down as the guarantors for payment. So you always end up paying it up. They've known te- they know these poor countries to give loans to, well, could never pay them off. So it's not intended for that. It's to get off off you, you see. After all, all wealth comes from you. That's what banking's all about. Sachs is the, the Quattel, uh, Professor of Sustainable Development at Columbia School of International and Public Affairs and a professor of health policy and management at Columbia School of Public Health. Interesting. Remember Obamacare? He's special advisor to United Nations Secretary General Ban Ki-moon on the Millennium Development Goals. That was, that was part of what became known as now as Agenda 21. Having held the same position under former UN Secretary General Kofi Annan, he's co-founder and chief strategist of Millennium Promise Alliance, a non-profit, they're all non-profit private organizations dedicated to ending extreme poverty and hunger. Utter liars, folks. From 2002 to 2006, he was director of the United Nations Millennium Project's work on the UN Sustainable Development Solutions Network. Since 2010, he has also served as commissioner for the Broadband Com- Commission for Digital Development, which leverages broadband technologies as a key enabler for social economic development. He's also involved in all the laws that are bringing out now on the internet. Since 1995, he's also a member of the International Advisory Council of the Center for Social and Economic Research. That's called CASE. So, you understand, again, under this guise of respectability, oh, he's doing so much good. He's your perfect psychopath. Because they're utter liars. Anybody who works for these organizations at the top who isn't in the reality of it, is a liar. You always lie to the people and hide behind that cloak of respectability, you see. Now I'll put up some more links tonight on Jeffrey Sachs and what's involved in basically a finger in every pie, a big technocrat, one of many, as I say, and they're not elected, no matter the organizations they work with, including all the UN departments, none of them are elected by us. And I'm just going to touch on this other thing that came out too. And this, art, this particular uh, authorization act basically is um, t- 
to do with surveillance that came out in the US. Uh, HR2048, I'll put this up tonight as well. It's the USA Freedom Act 2015. Now, those who can remember George Orwell's books, especially 1984, he, he, remember that he's showing you the techniques of really keeping you dumb and stupid with a proper indoctrination, and you believe properly. The simple use of words, you see, throw you right off from the rather evil things behind what it's actually saying. If you give out something a good title, then how can it mean the bad if it's got a good title? Double think, you see. So anyway, it says here, here's the, the new freedom. Remember George Bush Jr. coined it, the new freedom. And you better understand what that means. It came out through with the, the organization called Technocracy, Inc., that uh, was incorporated by the Rockefeller brothers in to this whole New World Order system, as I like to call it, of running you more efficiently by, again, specialists and so on. So this says here, the first session, it says, to, to reform the, th- the authorities of the federal government to require the production of certain business records, conduct electronic surveillance, use pen registers and trap and trace devices, and use other forms of information gathering for foreign intelligence, counterterrorism and criminal purposes and for other purposes. That's a big one. And for other purposes. That's for everything, folks. Be enacted by the Senate and House of Representatives of the United States of American Congress, blah, blah. And it says the act may be cited as, now here's the terminology, uniting and strengthening America. Well, who's going to, who's going to disagree with that, you see? By fulfilling rights. So this, this thing, it's all done in secret on everyone, and all the spying, is to fulfill rights and ensuring effective discipline over Monitoring Act of 2015 or the USA Freedom Act. So being totally surveillance all the time by all these agencies and God knows who else is freedom. It's the new freedom, folks. The new definition of... Understand that they can keep redefining things forever as long as you go along with it and believe it. But it's nothing to do with what it says, like Freedom Act. And it's got the FISA, business records reforms, and so on, and all these different things. And, and you'll find at the end of it all, uh, they've got everything that they wanted through that they didn't have before, at least legally. You understand, they've always been monitoring you, and, and uh, this didn't have the laws to go along with it. They never go along by laws. But it's, they like to have the laws eventually put in, so they're untouchable. And for future historians look back and teach the brainwashed generations of future ages, they say, well, the public did, agreed with it. They didn't complain. Well, you can't complain when it's all secret, folks. That's how history is written. By saying, how will we write it in the future? We must make it seem that the public agreed to everything. That's how it's done. That's how it's done in your lifetime when you read back on history. It's, it's all rewritten nonsense. That's the truth of it. So I'll put this up tonight too for those who want to have a, a little look at it. It's quite, uh, it's quite interesting. 
and also the implications for Canada of a fast-track Trans-Pacific Partnership. And it's a summit with leaders of the member states, the Trans-Pacific Strategic Economic Partnership Agreement. Um, as the negations slouch towards an agreement, supporters have cranked the volume on their praise for what is sometimes called the NAFTA of the Pacific. Who's the supporters? All these guys are doing in secret. Critics, of which there are a growing number, prefer NAFTA on steroids. A sign in the 12-country pact can only lead to more of the same deregulation, offshoring and rising inequality that are the legacy of the 20 years of North American free trade. A key vote in the U.S. House of Reps, which could come within weeks, will decide if the TPP is soon sealed or the talks linger on. There's never been anything they haven't got in your whole lifetime and your parents before them. So I won't even go through this thing. I'll just put it up for you to peruse if you so care. (laughs) Because it's... um, These are all done deals. You understand, it took years to work on them. They have what they call Sherpas. These are technocrats who go around all the different dignitaries of the world for the the agreements, and they they, they go back and forth with updates. Oh, they'll sign this, but not that. Unless we reword it. Okay, they go back and forth and back and forth, like high-level bureaucrats. It takes them years to get these things all worked out and for all the big international corporations to to, to get what they see as their rightful share of the loot, you see, the future profits. So, uh, again, that's all. See, understand that the whole, I'd, the whole thing is for the elite who rule the world, not for you. And your politicians that you vote in, you think you vote in, I think, um, they're, all, they're all doing it in secret. And if they're known about it, they've already signed agreements. And so what's the point in voting for them? It's, you're irrelevant, folks. The only relevance you have is is to be happy watching the soaps or movies or whatever it is you're watching or playing video games or watching porn. In other words, keep out of the picture and leave leave it all to your betters. That's the implicit message here. That's what you're told. And unfortunately, most folk do think that way. Most folk do. What's that got to do with me? That's what they'll say. Well, I don't care. I'll be long dead before all this comes down, etc., etc. Even though the lives have been changed from birth to the present already with all the secret deals that have been going on. Uh, forget these people, folks. They're gone. They were never here. Well, that's about it for today. I hope you're all doing pretty well. Remember, use the archives at cunningtreemetrics.com. And buy the books and discs and donate, please, because it will help me out. From Hamish, myself, from Ontario, Canada, it's good night to me, your God or your gods go with you.